0: What does the future hold for healthcare, and how will the changes on the horizon impact patients, physicians, payers, and hospitals? The Scope is a podcast that explores the advances in treatment, technology, and the ways in which we interface with healthcare. I'm your host, Scott Mayer, CEO of Mobile Anesthesiologist and each week I will speak with individuals who are working at the leading edge of medicine to find out how innovation and outside-the-box thinking are revolutionizing the industry and impacting our lives. Dr. Eric Weaver is nationally recognized for his work in primary care, transformation, and value-based care. He is the executive director of the Institute for Advancing Health Value, a nonprofit organization established by former HHS Secretary Mike Levitt, and former CMS administrator, Dr. M- Dr. Mark McClellan, to accelerate the value-based care readiness of healthcare organizations. Dr. Weaver has an extensive executive leadership track record with physician-led ACOs and risk-bearing entities, including roles as president and CEO of Integrated ACO and SVP for Innovista Health Solutions. He was recognized as the ACHE Young Healthcare Executive of the Year and the Modern Healthcare Up-and-Comers Award in recognition for his work in value-based care. Dr. Weaver holds a master's degree in healthcare administration from Texas State University and a doctor of healthcare administration degree from the Medical University of South Carolina. On today's episode, we're going to discuss health value and what Dr. Weaver's organization has been doing on that front to improve the industry. We'll also chat about the biggest opportunities and challenges facing healthcare today, along with what the future might hold. Last, we will dive deeper into some exciting value-based care initiatives and projects that are leading the way towards a better health care tomorrow. Dr. Weaver, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Scott, it's an absolute pleasure to be with you today. Thanks so much for the invitation and the opportunity to be on the podcast.
0: Absolutely. You know, I'd love to dive right in. I love, you know, starting our podcast off with this, just hearing kind of your adventure to where you are today and and some key milestone or inflection points. You know, people have such exciting journeys, especially people with a track record like yourself. So any highlights you know, for our audience would be amazing to hear about.
1: Sure. It's a it's it's a great question, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk a little bit about my journey, of course, value based care in and of itself is a journey. Um, but I, you know, I've had a, a really interesting uh, ex- experience in the healthcare industry, uh, you know, having been a healthcare executive for the last 20 years, I spent the first 10 years of my career in fee-for-service, and, you know, during that time, I saw some real, you know, dark underbelly, you know, types of things going on. You know, I, my first job, actually, as a executive, you know, I worked with a, a cardiologist and you know, they would call him Full Metal Jacket because he he would literally put 30, 40, 50 uh, stints in patients. And, and uh, you know, there was a lawsuit where, you know, the younger doctors were being forced to do unnecessary procedures. And I saw a lot of fleecing of patients and uh, unnecessary, you know, even deaths that occurred. And, you know, of course, you know, we're all as ones that, you know, study the industry. You know, I think most of your listeners can appreciate the systemic issues that we have and the broken nature of fee for service and you know how uh, healthcare itself is the number one cause for personal uh, personal bankruptcy in our country um you know i guess you know after spending a good decade or so in healthcare you know i was on an upward track to do more and you know lead at a health system level and you know do some great things really but uh, i of all things i took a trip to cuba It was a research delegation with a bunch of physicians and administrators, and I got to see, you know, patient-centered care in a third-world country, you know, where the primary care physician would go with the patient to the specialists and how the primary care physicians were embedded in communities. They were kind of like the consigliere you know, the role that, you know, uh, Robert Duvall played in The Godfather, where they were very much an advisor and a counselor to families. And uh, they had, you know, comparable outcomes to what, you know, we were, you know, achieving here in the U.S. But, the, you know, they spend $300 per capita and we spend 11000 So I, I came wow. back from that trip and, you know, I said, you know, I'm going to quit my health system gig and I'm, compl- I'm this might be ruinous for my career, but I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to start a, an ACO and, I got a bunch of doctors together out in West Texas, and uh, we did really well in the Medicare Church Savings Program, and I really never looked back at that point. I uh, continued to proceed in working with physicians and building networks that could take uh, risk and manage populations and get good outcomes and parlay that into what I'm doing now, which is leading a, a nonprofit institute that, that partners with uh, health systems, ACOs, clinically integrated networks, and other organizations that are looking to take the leap in the value-based care. So that's a little bit about my journey. Uh, There's a lot there I could go into, but, you know, uh, at a high level, that's kind of what prompted me to kind of recognize the opportunity for value and, find something that was in more, more in alignment with, uh, altruistic reasons why I got into healthcare in the first place.
0: (laughs) Wow. That's a, that's amazing. I I mean, it's for me and, you know, we see this all the time and and you've obviously experienced it firsthand is you kind of have to see how broken the industry is at times, or just see how tragic it can really be before you're You kind of go, something's got to change here and really kind of dive deep. But you also mentioned maybe it would risk, like risk my entire career, to have to jump into something that makes so much sense and is so much better for the healthcare industry and for the entire patient population. But we, you literally have to risk it all to stick your neck out to change it for the better. And that's, you know, I'm hoping your work, our work, things along those lines can continue making that trend easier. But I I feel the same way at times where you're feeling like you're having to go against the grain just to make things better in this industry.
1: Absolutely. And the value movement, uh, if we're honest with ourselves, it's moved at a glacial uh, pace. There's been some incremental uh, progress. There's some great stories and exemplars. I'm sure we'll get into, you know, some of that, but, you know, I've been one to always try to stay ahead of the curve and realize where the industry's going. And, you know, one of my early experiences as a, as an up and coming executive, you know, I remember going to a conference and I, you know, I would hear these, these executives that were well into their, you know, the twilight of their career and, and, you know, they were lamenting about the glory days of fee-for-service being over, and they were just miserable, and they kept complaining about reimbursement, and, you know, I I just, you know, at that point, you know, even though I didn't really know what value-based care was at the time, it didn't really exist in the form as we know it today, but I knew, like, I want to get, you know, uh, into a role that I'm actually excited about delivering care where you know, you're actually thinking as an executive more about outcomes, and you're actually thinking about the cost implications, and and, uh, you know, that's really kind of, uh, what was kind of, you know, hardwired in my psyche early on. And, and that was definitely a formative experience. And, you know, and then, you know, you know, to your point, I really saw, you know, some really, you know, uh, untoward things, you know, I would have doctors come to me saying, we got to move the meat in the clinic. And I heard would hear of doctors talk about patients as ATM machines. And, Jeez. you know, I heard a doctor once tell me, you know, about the MRI machine that we had, we had to, we have to, feed the machine. And, you know, and I would just hear all these things where it was just all about transactions and just earning money on fee for service and not really thinking about the human being in front of you. So, I, you know, I think that's at the heart of what the value-based care real- movement really is about. I and mean, we talk so much about economic models and alignment of financial incentives, but, but that's really the, the vehicle to which we can change behavior when you get down to the heart of what value-based care really is about, it's about the person in front of you and uh, being able to uh, deliver care in a more relationship-based holistic model where you're truly thinking about what's going on in that patient's lives. And you don't want them to fall through the cracks. You want to have a boundary spanning function where you're, you're going outside of the brick and mortar of the clinic or the person, the hospital and reacting to uh, a patient. You know, there was a, a story that I once heard Farzad Mustashari say at a conference and he goes he, he equated the value movement to Niagara Falls and he said, you know, Niagara Falls, if you if you if you've been there or have seen a picture, you know, that's six million cubic feet of water per minute. In healthcare we spend six million dollars per minute. And what value based care really is about is not waiting at the bottom of the waterfall with a bucket, hoping to catch the poor, sick patients that the system has failed and trying to, to get reimbursement. It's about going upstream. It's about really making an impact and preventing or reversing chronic disease. And, you know, and there's an economic model that's there right now where organizations can be successful. Um, so that's an exciting time for healthcare. And, you know, I'm, I'm truly optimistic about the direction that we're headed as an industry, but it, it will take time.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the glacial movement. You know, it will take some time, but you know, it's definitely just needs that commitment to to making sure that you know we persevere through some of the bumps. And and you mentioned the whole quantity versus quality thing, right? I mean, transactions versus people. And until everybody is evaluated on the best interest of the patient and doing what's right for them and their health, short and long term, um, we're never going to be able to change that mindset because it's almost like a cult following, and it's almost you know ingrained in physicians and healthcare work and all these things. this specific financial model and how it needs to be. Like you mentioned, a tick, tick, tick versus something that is a more holistic, longer term view. Um, you know, you mentioned the, the Medicare uh, shared savings work that you did, the ACO work that you did. Can you talk a little bit, dive a little deeper about just the, the mindset that you have to have with your team different than just a standard health system, financial model or fee for service? You know, how do you how do you really get that change embedded? You know, what is what, what are the key things that are that are different that allow that to succeed, as you mentioned, because there is an economic model that is viable and very you know successful on this side, but you kind of have to understand the the roots and the the biggest pillars of it.
1: Well, one of the, you know, as you were, you know, speaking, you know, I, I, you know, immediately I had this quote in my, popped in my head from Upton Sinclair, you know, and he said, you know, when a man's salary is, is dependent on, on him not changing his mind, you'll never, you'll, you'll never uh, get that person to change. And that's exactly what, needs to happen in terms of reengineering engineering uh, payment models to get into a place where we could actually have uh, hospitals, physicians, and other providers really thinking more holistically. And, you know, the, the aspect of behavior change and, you know, my uh, experience in, and and I, I came from working with physicians and on the primary care side, you know, it, it was so interesting where, you know, instead of the cowboy being, or instead of the, the physician being a cowboy, you know, where it was more autocratic, top-down, you know, this is how we're going to deliver care. It's really about dispersing that leadership, where the the physician is more of a quarterback, where they're making handoffs. They're they're looking at data that they otherwise wouldn't look at in terms of managing a population, and and really making sure that you're delivering a team-based care model that's really oriented towards some of these aspects of uh, improved uh, outcomes for patients. And you know, I, I you know, my my work with physician-led ACOS it. It's really, you know, I also think it's it's a win win uh, for independent doctors. There's there's so many uh, financial challenges that are happening, and in the and in, in the, if you just look at the primary care space, I mean, I, I think the, you know, uh, w- what I was hearing recently was there's been a, you know, like fifteen billion dollar impact just out of the pandemic alone. A lot of these groups are struggling. They're, you know, how do we rectify our balance sheets? Do we go? You know, into you know a hospital setting, or get acquired by a PE-backed uh, consolidator. Um, but there's opportunities with with value-based care, and I think it's really come down to, you know, you have to get um, a tipping point. Uh, you know, if you're going to engineer, you know, uh, re-engineer a culture that's uh, really focused on value, and, and there are progressive tipping points so you have to look at. You know, of course, the business culture and and having um, at least a significant amount of your revenue portfolio that's based in contracts. But then, you know, progressively you get to that cultural tipping point where it doesn't even matter, you know, if a patient is on a Blue Cross Blue Shield PPO plan or a a Medicare Advantage full risk plan, you're really treating all of those patients the same. Uh, But it really is a, I think, you know, a confluence of the economics of care with the actual, you know, or altruistic aspects of delivering medicine in a way that is more uh, focused on uh, patient outcomes. And when you look at, you know, there's, there's a, you know, we often talk about the quadruple aim, you know, in value-based care, you know, the triple aim is what the IHI made, you know, coined uh, the Don Berwick years ago, which was lower per capita cost, better patient experience, uh, better outcomes. But then there's this whole quad, the, the quadruple aim is really about Provider wellness, you know, uh, prevention of moral injury and burnout. And we're seeing, uh, you know, just on a, uh, on a mass you know, scale, so many uh, physicians and nurses and other providers that are really hurting out there. And that suffering, you know, I'm convinced uh, ultimately is, is, is rooted deeply in the way that we have to care for patients uh, in a transactional fee-for-service economic model where you have to see 30 patients a day as a primary care physician and you could only spend 15 minutes, uh, in the exam room and you have to have your door on your hand on the doorknob thinking about the next exam room that you have to go to, you know, just to keep the lights on. So I think that's really, um, you know, thinking about some of the, the, the work that I've done, the success that I've seen, some of the groups that we collaborate with, with the Institute, you know, it really does come down to, you know, creating, uh, the right uh, orientation around uh, value-based care, even though it is incremental in terms of building your revenue portfolio, but having the right leadership, you know, it starts with the board, you know, all the way down to uh, the executives and the physicians, really having everyone galvanized around some of these core tenants of delivering uh, care in a more value-based way. So, you know, you know, that's what excites me. And, you know, and I think there's definitely, you know, uh, if you look at the, the, the entire healthcare ecosystem, there's so many bright spots out there, and, you know, clearly the results are, are being realized uh, where, you know, there's a recognition now that, you know, care delivery in, in this way is possible.
0: There were several nuggets in there regarding, you know, data regarding just leadership and culture, and really kind of all of that focus that's necessary because you're, you're changing the mindset. And, and you mentioned, you know, the pandemic and even the shortage of healthcare workers, the burnout of healthcare workers. You're you're asking everybody to do more in a broken system just to keep up with all of this additional compliance and overhead costs and reimbursement cuts and and the consolidation on top of it is just you know making it even more difficult with so many more layers. So it's becoming challenging. But like you mentioned, there's so much optimism out there, too, or bright spots and wins. You know, can you talk a little about your, you know, really your organization and the work it's doing with that health value and some of the successes you had, what areas you like to tackle when it comes to working with different systems or different organizations? You know, I'd love to kind of key in on some examples of of where, you know, a lot of this success and our community can hear that there's there's a lot of there is a lot of positivity out there among all this volatility and, and some of the chaos.
1: Sure. Well, you mentioned in the uh, in my in the introduction to the episode, you know, uh, Doctor uh, Mark McClellan, Michael Levitt, that founded at the time, which was the Accountable Care Learning Collaborative, and we've since uh, rebranded to the Institute for Advancing Health Value. You know, that's the organization that I lead as an executive director, and our mission is really to to support uh, accountable care organizations and other risk bearing entities. Um, through an ecosystem for learning and sharing of best pra- practices and democratizing content. You know, I, there's so much. I, I often say, you know, my my job is really a, is a storyteller. You know, I need to go out there and find those bright spots, those exemplars out there in the in the value economy and showcase them and highlight them and make sure that we're putting out research and intelligence and uh, peer learning opportunities and member events where we can really put these uh exemplars on display, you know, for the industry to see that value-based care is possible. And that was very much at the heart of, uh, you know, the the mindset that Levin and McClellan had when they founded our uh, nonprofit organization. You know, they were coming out of uh, the, the public sector, having been in the Bush administration, leading HHS and CMS respectively. And, you know, they were thinking, you know, the government can promulgate you know all these new rules around payment models, and you know create these uh, experimental you know programs for providers to get into, and eventually, yeah, we can move into mandated models. But you know you're never really going to scale, you know, in terms of uh, value based care, unless you can create this environment for peer learning and sharing. And you know that me I often say, you know, uh, my, uh, my my colleagues in healthcare, you know that that we collaborate with. I mean, we're all dark alley friends, you know, we like to, you know, like we're looking out for each other, you know, and, and uh, that's something you often don't get in, in a fee-for-service environment, especially in a, in a local market, you know, where, you know, let's take the example of data, you know, data is a strategic asset in, in, in fee-for-service in value, but in fee-for-service you don't want to share, you know, data with your competitor about utilization you know, even though you're sharing, you know, you're seeing the same patients, they're bouncing back and forth. And that's where the redundancy and the dupl- duplication and procedures happen. So, you know, value-based care really, it does take a village to make that work. And, you know, that's at the heart of what we try to do is instill collaboration. And, you know, the other thing that we're working on, um, we're housed at Western Governors University. So, you know, that gives us an academic lens to authenticate a lot of what we do and uh, providing uh, content and research and convening of industry. But, you know, we're we're thinking, of, we're moving towards this opportunity that we have for educating and reskilling the workforce and delivering, you know, value-based care, population health, uh, making sure that you can reduce inequities and really serving the underserved populations. You know, they, you have to have this whole new orientation that's you know, as I said earlier, it's relationship-based, holistic, it's tech-enabled, you know, when you, it requires an entire new level of competency and knowledge, and you have to have, you know, education and research and collaboration to really create the industry readiness, so that's that's really what we try to do is, is support industry, and, you know, I also like to, you know, think about you know, the social impact implications of what we do. And it's not just us, it's really any organization that's out there and in, in value-based care. Um, you mentioned, uh, you know, COVID uh, earlier in the pandemic and, you know, like just think about how hard hit the industry was financially, clinically, operationally, even spiritually. You know, you have uh, uh, systems that are dealing with, you know, drastic drops in revenue, their, their, their patient population, um is really dealing reeling from a multitude of different effects from you know behavioral health issues economic insecurity of course we have ongoing ppo uh, ppe shortages we have uh uh, labor the the cost of labor going up and really an unsustainable model for the future um that's been exacerbated by some of the pandemic effects and we're never going to see some of the uh, procedural intensity go back to the way it was uh, pre-pandemic so it really is a inflection point. And, um, you know, and and I think ultimately the other lesson to be learned from COVID-19, and this plays into a lot of the work that we're doing uh, with the Institute and, you know, trying to create awareness and ultimately, you know, align with that social impact of value-based care is that, you know, value-based care isn't just an economic imperative, it's a moral imperative. And there's no better example of that than to see the health disparities um, that were happening in terms of uh, patient hospitalizations and deaths that were around uh, racial and socioeconomic lines. And, you know, that has created really a zeitgeist in, in, in our society around awareness of pre-existing inequities that have been around for decades, if not hundreds of years. And I think that's, that's where, you know, uh, now there's a response, not only from society, uh, but also with CMS and how they're reengineering payment models like the new aco reach model that's really that really has health equity and reporting of disparities and looking at community health assessments and having strategic plans around underserved communities that's the that's the great opportunity i mean that's the that's the holy grail if we can figure out how to better serve uh, all patients regardless of race sexual orientation socioeconomic status uh i mean we we can create a uh, uh, a better system, ultimately, that's 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 going to serve our entire population better, and you know, and I think that's that's really what um, what we try to tap into in the work that we do is raise awareness and provide the education and the the reskilling opportunities that are going to be necessary to succeed in the new paradigm of value based care.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned that the you know the, the pandemic, while just such a tragic situation all around, and and you know really um, kind of all the loss that that was you know from families to friends and, and what everybody was put through during that time was extremely difficult. And it, while it also really put a lens and a microscope on what needed to change in healthcare, as you mentioned, and using some of those kind of examples, you know, health inequity. I mean, as you it's it's being talked about. You know, I mean, really. Fortunately, it's being talked about more and more, and really focused on because of the large disparities that showed up not only there during, like you said, that the treatment and the support um, in such in such a way, but just overall in the healthcare system. And I'm glad that it's getting the attention because it's only getting worse, especially as consolidation happens more and more, and some of these local community hospitals and 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 more rural areas do not have the access to care um, that they really need. And so, you know, I, I'm you know telehealth is always an example I bring up is it was. Such a fantastic idea for many years, but we needed a pandemic just for them to green light and get it fast tracked to approve. And now it's being used everywhere. And it was always something that we had, uh, you know, available to us, but it needed this to basically trigger a a final kind of push across the finish line. And you know, I'm hoping that while you know, obviously nothing to that end of of a tragic event occurs, I'm just hoping that we learn from it and utilize all of the opportunity to say we can't go back to such a broken system. And 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 while many things will never go back. We need to utilize this in every possible way to really make sure that we're taking advantage of the opportunity in front of us and, and making the changes that are necessary too. So, you know, I think you know, you you hit you hit on so many different areas that are, are really needing to change and needing improvements. And I'm hoping the, your your work and everybody's kind of you know just. Kind of eyes, the, the blanket's been pulled a little bit, and you're you're kind of seeing some of the some of these things that really need to be addressed asap, and and hopefully the the community will will get enough attention, resources, and support to make sure that happens.
1: Oh, absolutely, and you know, you you brought up some great points around you know the the technology implications of of uh, 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 the future of healthcare and you know telehealth. I think it was you know we we've, we've struggled with. Adoption for decades, and there's been um, a a guild of uh, uh, physicians and 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 advocating uh, associations and medical societies that have really tried to curtail a lot of uh, the enablement and the scaling and proliferation of uh, uh, of telemedicine, just based on the fact that you know, no, we need to see the whites of the patient's eyes to to be able to get a billable procedure, and you know, and I'm I'm hoping that there's at least now more of a a consumer awareness around, uh, healthcare, uh, and how it can be, I mean, you should never have to, as a patient, you know, take, uh, have to take a half a day off of work, trek downtown through traffic, you know, pay for parking, go sit in a lobby for an hour, you know, go and wait for the physician once you're in the exam room and they get a a 30 minute encounter and then still not have your questions answered. And just seeing how, um, you know the cause of readmissions um you know it, it, one of the biggest uh, uh causes of that is a uh, lack of patient literacy someone doesn't understand their discharge plans i mean everything is so um hyper um focused on you know just the the churn of uh, transactional volume that that so many things fall through the cracks in healthcare so i think technology even though it's not the panacea you know there's 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 so many opportunities to to look at modalities like telehealth, to um, look at AI machine based uh, algorithms for uh, stratifying risk and populations and having data driven insights to really think more holistically about the patient populations and to do those specific interventions. There's patient engagement opportunities. I mean, we can look at, you know, more future state in terms of how we can leverage uh, wearables and, uh you know biometrics and ultimately look at genomics you know how can we have precision based medicine uh and, and and really create uh more of an individualized uh population health intervention based on that person's genetic code so i think there's a lot of great um uh opportunities ahead for healthcare um i i and i do think the pandemic really um really created a, a catalyst you know for for the, you know what we're talking about today i mean if you were to ask me you know uh 18 months ago you know how i felt about uh generally the value movement you know i wasn't as optimistic because i i just saw you know the you know no one was really looking beyond the fog of war everyone was just trying to you know, heads down trying to to get through the day and trying to figure out how to how to best you know get through the pandemic and and uh, in, in deal with the hospitalizations that, that we were seeing because of uh, COVID nineteen. But now, I think coming out of that hey, there there's a lot of interest and uh, renewed uh, commitment to making sure that we can transform the system. And we're just going to have to get through a lot of these entrenched interests that create a, that, that that creates a lot of the inertia. Um, and it's going to be it's going to be tough. I mean, there's going to be winners and losers, and invariably in any type of wide scale change. And we're talking about 20% of our economy is tied to healthcare. I mean, there's, there's going to be a reckoning. Uh, and you know, that's where, you know, like if you see some of the private equity and capital investment, that's going to value-based care, that's telling me that there's definitely, um, uh, companies that are positioning for the future. Uh, you look at, you know, just the, the, the deal that we saw recently with Amazon and, and one medical that's clearly, you know, uh, uh uh there's something that's Amazon throwing down the gauntlet but you know we are committed to this even though the the Haven venture with JP Morgan Chase and Berkshire Hathaway didn't quite work out I mean we are committed to this and I would just advise anyone that's out there listening to this podcast you know that's that's just you know playing the you know the 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 current game you know think about you know how are you going to position in the next five or 10 years. And there really is no other answer, but delivering care in a way that's more oriented towards uh, better patient outcomes and lower costs. (laughs)
0: <laughs> There's no question about that. And, and like you said, too, the, you know, the day of reckoning, it's going to come in, people say like, Oh, well, we, we don't really have to have it. Or maybe we can just push, you know, kick, kick the can a little bit down the road. All you're doing is making it worse in the end because the current system, the fee for service, it's not, it can't work forever anyways. So the, like you said, the, the change in the day of reckoning, the inflection point needs to happen and will happen. Why, why not just get in front of it and work towards that evolution versus just continuing to fight against it? And and like you said, you come up to people in with big influential jobs that are being paid to make sure things don't change. And until some of that changes overall in that mindset, you know, we're never going to have the speed that we're really looking forward to for this. But like you said, as long as there's more people, you know, I know that I was personally was a little deflated when Berkshire Hathaway you know, pulled out of, of their investment and their support in that end. But then, like you said, the, AML, the Amazons and Google and Apple all kind of continuing to dive in or dabble in, you know, Walmart with their health issues, with their health kind of initiatives and things. It's like, we need those big, powerful, influential powers and their money to kind of come in to disrupt some things to really make sure that there is enough support to kind of get that over the hill um, on that side too. So, I mean, I, I completely agree that there are a, there is a lot of forward movement or progress or things to be optimistic about, you know, on that end and, and you know, having people just to keep their kind of ears and eyes open to all of it and, and also kind of just stay curious and ask questions because you also hit on a great point that we're making healthcare are too difficult for patients at the end of the day in the population. It's too, you know, it's, it's, it's too much of a challenge. It's too frustrating. It's too disappointing where people want to stay away from it. Then all of a sudden, any preventative care, any, any proactivity with that goes out the window and now you're dealing with the worst, the worst in terms of illnesses and diseases that have literally become such significant, tragic episodes that you can't cure them anymore. You can't at least get that patient back to health and now you're spending a ton of money trying to preserve a very tragic or terrible situation. So, I, like you said, the culture the leadership, the mindset, all of that needs to change. And we need to keep kind of continuing to embrace that. And also just, you know, shout from the mountaintops about it. You know, Eric, is, is there anything you want to leave, you know, our audience with in terms of just the biggest things that you're excited about in terms of certain specific things or the biggest challenges that, you know, you're going to work through, or we're all going to have to work through together to overcome, you know, any, any final nuggets that you think are just so compelling that you want to make sure that, that you, uh, you kind of focus on or speak about.
1: Well, sure. You know, I, I would uh, let me go through a couple of things that I think uh, kind of define uh, the future of healthcare delivery. Uh, you know, we all, you know, we've talked about the capital investment side, and I've always heard, you know, if you ever want to know where an industry's going, follow the money. Well, we see the velocity of capital investment that's taking place, and retail-based care delivery, and pharmacy integration, multi-billion-dollar deals, uh, the consolidation that's happening. I think a lot of that pertains. Uh, a pretty uh, promising glide path for value transformation. Now, you know, it's debatable whether or not that's the best course of action, but, you know, we have to think about how is the disruption going to take place. And, you know, uh, the federal government has to have the political capital to do what's needed to mandate payment models. But, you know, we we may have to see some type of private sector uh, uh, disruption to really catalyze a lot of what we're hoping to see. But in terms of the, the, the public side, you know, we – We've we've, we've heard loud and clear from CMS uh, at this point that by 2030, 100 percent of Medicare patients are going to be in accountable care relationships. I think that's an important bellwether uh, for what's to happen. I think hospitals are also thinking about, you know, given the the shift of higher margin procedures to the ambulatory care setting and the opportunities with what we talked about on the, the technology side, you know, how do they capitalize on, Alternative care settings and value based payments. So I think we can anticipate to see a lot of home care medicine, uh, add more asset light models, um, you know, in, in hospitals where the acute care hospital is no longer going to be at the pinnacle of the healthcare ecosystem. It's instead going to be a another provider on the continuum. So I think uh, you know I, I'm really bullish about ambulatory care. I think digital transformation in this emerging area era, era of digital mobile consumerism. Is going to be another important facet to look at in terms of eliminating a lot of the, the friction that we see in the in the healthcare value chain and, and really create the level of literacy, which is what you're talking about. Like you know, there healthcare. So we've made healthcare so Byzantine and just impossible to navigate. You know, I have a doctorate in healthcare administration, and I I look at my EOB. I at the time I still don't understand. You know, what what's going on. So I think we have Definitely. to really look at simplified solutions. Um, you know, and I, I think employers also are going to be the sleeping giants in all of this. I mean, they're seeing double digit increases on their premiums every year. You know, poor health is costing employers, you know, 500 plus billion on, on top of the 800 plus billion that they spend on premium costs just due to uh, employees being out sick, uh, loss of productivity. I, I think there's a lot of great opportunities with employers, uh, especially the self-funded large employers to really make a splash. Um uh, I think there's going to be a rise in payviders you know we're going to see a blending with health plans and provider organizations which I I think is great because it's no longer the us versus them mentality that you have a fee for service but there really is a harmonization that can take place where everyone's trying to think the same thing and it's not a it's not a zero-sum game based on money it's really based on how do we provide better service for patients and you know unfortunately I think that we're going to see a lot of uh uh, surging in Medicaid enrollment. I think uh, economically, we're we're de- we're dealing with some major recessionary pressures. So, uh, you know, right now, you know, one in five Americans. I think it's about seventy-five million Americans that are in Medicaid, and you know, we're we're definitely going to see uh, uh, more enrollment on the on the on the Medicaid rolls. So, I think a uh, you know, uh, really uh, attuning our, our our healthcare delivery system more to underserved and marginalized communities is going to be important. And I guess the last thing I'll say is just really thinking about the pressures that we have on pricing transparency as well. You know, we need to have a a healthcare system that's readily accessible and understood. And, and everyone, you know, you should never have to worry about going into the hospital uh, and becoming bankrupt uh, by it. And, you know, right now we're seeing one in three cancer patients after five years, Going bankrupt, and that that's a tragedy in and of itself, and and so I, I think a lot of these uh, these stressors that are on the system, which typically we would categorize as like okay, you know, like these are uh, headwinds to value. Now I think they're tailwinds, just based on the confluence of all these different uh, social imperatives, the macroeconomic drivers, now policy drivers, every all these important vectors really triangulating around you know, a complete transformation in how we deliver care. And, and then we have, we're, I mean, what, what a great time, you know, to live in, uh, of course we have a broken system, but think of all the advances that we have in technology and AI and 5g, 3d printing, robotics, you know, the genetic, uh, editing, there's, there's the, the so many, uh, different, um, things that we can go to to really create, um, a better healthcare delivery system. So I, I think, uh, you know, we're going to have to have leaders in the future that, that can really guide us to this new um, uh, paradigm. And, you know, that's really, you know, at the heart of what we try to do at the Institute is, you know, partner with those exemplars, but also partner with those organizations that are trying to figure out that, you know, they're, they're not as mature, you know, in, in the, the value continuum, but really create and through the evangelization, the storytelling that we do, highlighting the important intelligence that they need to have to empower their organizations and create the cultural change and ultimately the workforce development and uh, the education that's required to really create the tipping point in their respective organizations for the future.
0: What a what a fantastic summary that you just kind of hit on because you hit on everything that it really is a list of things that'll move the needle significantly in terms of the quality of, of care and the kind of increased patient support and in for the population that really is needed right now. You know the artificial intelligence piece and so much being able to do that to diagnose things earlier on in a much easier way than everything after being procedural or surgical or you know really to the standpoint of not being able to diagnose it sooner. But the Medicaid piece, you know, I know you you have a big history, big uh, kind of history or background in the Medicare shared savings and the Medicare Advantage, you know, population is only going to grow significantly as well. And how are systems going to treat that and really make that a foundation pillar of, of their financial model, but also really of their just holistic work that they're doing on that side. Um, the ambulatory side, obviously that's, that's where we kind of focus our efforts is so much can be done out of the hospital, even out of surgery centers, whether it be in physician offices mm-hmm. or clinics or big boxes, or even in home health front um, that really, I you really come out where we have, we have better data in terms of outcomes, in terms of patient experience and, and even patient safety ends of things. And it's being done for a fraction of the cost and, and everybody's walking away, you know, much happier and in a better place. And it's just, you know, it really seems that evolution is necessary as well. So I, you know, I applaud and, and thank you for, for really going through all that, because I think it gave such a nice overall viewpoint of, of the areas of focus that really are out there, but the opportunities that are out there too. Um, you kind of mentioned that as much as there are trouble, challenges and and we we're, we're broken to a stent in the industry we still have a lot going for us and and things that make us still a, a healthcare power on the international front as well and all of this is can only allow us to, to change for the better even quicker so you know once again you know Eric thank you so much for your time and, and bringing all this to, to our attention and and really being able to educate all of us and the great work you and your organization are doing but also just what's out there that we can really kind of lean on and and stay positive and optimistic about versus just just getting buried with all the the negativity that that surrounds kind of the industry and just the world today.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure, and I want to thank you for the work that you're doing to create a platform to engage leaders and have these important discussions. And there's definitely an opportunity for optimism. And ultimately, you know, we we have to decide as a country, you know, are we going to do the right thing by uh, our the people in our society. Uh, are we going to create a model of care that's truly going to prevent chronic disease, uh, you know, create a more economically viable model? And I, and I think now the, the social imperative behind that is really um, uh, going to be going to drive uh, uh, the future. And I think there's uh, clearly a, a financial uh, realignment uh, that could happen. And why not have a win, win, win? where providers can be happier, less burned out, more fulfilled and have patients with better outcomes. Patients do better. They're more engaged. They're not getting bankrupt. They're they're healthier. And then, you know, health plans and ultimately, you know, our entire society, you know, uh, being better in the process. So I think that's the opportunity we have ahead of us. Again, I want to thank you for, you know, allowing me the opportunity to speak a little bit about uh, the work that I do. And, uh, you know, it's been a pleasure to spend time with you today.
0: You know cheers to everything that you just said, 'cause you know there there is a possibility for everybody to come out positive and they're coming out ahead of this, and this is where people get just you know falling they' like, oh, it's just not possible, no, it is it really is and so like you said, I hope conversations like this are work and continuing to just really kind of push and embrace and support all the stuff that we're doing to make it, you know, better healthcare tomorrow will continue. And, and like, it sounds like both of us and our organizations and the people around us are going to, you know, going to fight to the fight to the death to just make sure we leave our imprint on, on the industry and on the market in the best way possible. So, you know, thank you again. We'd love to have you back and love to have you back in the platform to uh, continue to check in and, and see all, you know, continue to hear about the great work that you're doing. Um, And so I hope you, you uh, would, would be open to, to coming back or continuing to share your stories with us.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, my friend. I would be happy to do so. And uh, again, I I really appreciate the opportunity to be with you today.
0: Absolutely. Take care. Thank you, everybody. Another fantastic discussion and podcast episode um, with Dr. Eric Weaver, who we will definitely be following and we definitely want to make sure we're supporting in every way. Uh, Take care. Thank you again, Eric. Have a great rest of your day and enjoy everybody. That's it for this week. Tune in again next week for another illuminating discussion about the changing face of healthcare on The Scope, presented by mobile anesthesiologists. For more, find us online at thescope.zzzmd.com and on Twitter at thescope underscore
1: MA.